Good morning, friends. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My message today is titled, Where is Jesus when we need him? And my text comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. In my ministry life, I have officiated at 120 or so funerals. I can assure you that one of the longest walks you will ever take is to walk away from the grave of someone you love. If you've never done that, you cannot even begin to imagine how difficult that can be. To walk away and feel as if the world has come to an end. To walk away and think about what used to be and what might have been. To walk away and suddenly realize it'll never be the same again. To play over and over in your mind the good times, the laughter, the crazy stories. To reach out and touch a face and find it's gone forever. To cry until you cannot cry anymore. To watch them bury your dreams and hopes and all that was good about life. And to know it's over and done and finished. And there's nothing you can do about it. To walk away to friends who cannot understand. And to a world that hardly cares. Yes, it's the longest walk and the saddest day for many people. Every step takes you away from the tombstone of a broken dream. Well, our story is told in Luke 24. It's Easter morning, and there is no joy. Two disciples are on the road to Emmaus, a little village about seven miles from Jerusalem. One disciple is named Cleopas. Tradition tells us that he's actually the brother to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And the man with him is his son, Simeon. So it's Jesus' uncle and nephew. As they walk along the dusty road, they leave Jerusalem far behind. They're followers of the man called Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth, the teacher, the miracle worker who claimed to have been sent by God. And for a long time, they'd followed him. Well, as much as anyone could, they genuinely believed. And then came the terrible events on Friday. Jesus had been crucified. After his death, he was buried in a tomb. Although they'd heard rumors that the tomb had been found empty early that morning, they could not and would not and did not believe any wild stories about a resurrection. If there was one thing the Romans knew how to do, it was kill people. They were really good at it. They could make it fast or short, easy or horrific, public or private, relatively painless or excruciatingly painful. And friends, crucifixion was the most terrible way to kill a man, and only the worst suffered that fate. Well, how had it come to this? If he truly were the Son of God, how could he have, this have happened? I mean, it's Sunday. Jesus is dead. And they are going home. The question is our question, only slightly rephrased. Where is Jesus when we need him? Where did he go? Why did he leave us? And as they walked and talked, I'm sure that they did a lot of reminiscing. They must have talked about the time the paralyzed man was lowered through the roof or maybe the time when Jesus took five barley loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. They probably wondered how Jesus could raise Lazarus only a week or so before and then be killed himself a week later. Like anyone who lost a loved one, they tried to make sense out of the tragedy. And friends, only those who have seen a dream crushed and the death of a great hope can enter fully into this story. If you have ever walked away from a funeral so deeply hurt that you could not speak, if you have loved and been deeply hurt, tried and failed, believed and then been disappointed, you know what it was like for those two disciples. 
I remember a song back when I was in high school or early college sung by Mary Hopkin. The phrase goes this way, those were the days, my friends, we thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance forever in a day. We'd live the life we choose. We'd fight and never lose for we were young and sure to have our way. Well, you know, there's an easy way to outline this story from Luke. It goes this way, two men, three men, two men. You know, everything you need to know is in those three phrases. Down the road, two men walked, deep in their sorrow and despair. Suddenly a stranger joins them and walks with them, and when he leaves them, they're changed forever. First, their hearts are burdened, then their hearts are burning, then their hearts are bursting. I mean, such is the power of the risen Jesus. I mean, here's an Easter message of hope for all who are confused and uncertain. It's also a message for those who feel abandoned by the Lord. Because he rose from the dead, Jesus is with us always, everywhere, at all times, in every situation. However, there are some times we just don't recognize him. In verse 16, it said their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, why didn't they know it was Jesus? After all, they were related in a way. They were his disciples. I mean, there are a lot of answers given to that. Some people say they didn't expect him, so they didn't recognize him. Others say that it happened at sunset, so they were confused by the fading light. But you know, our text gives us a different answer. It was a supernatural veiling of their eyesight so that they saw a man, but they didn't know it was Jesus. You know, every part of this story is true to human nature as we know it. And there's actually a little touch of humor in that Jesus is with them and they think he's dead. As they walked with the stranger, they said, you know, he used to do this and you should have been there and he could walk on water and he was so nice and we never met anybody like him and finally... I can't believe he's gone. On they walk, the two men talking, the stranger listening intently. And finally he asks, what are you talking about? The question perplexes the men because everybody in Jerusalem knew about the crucifixion of Jesus. Are you the only one who hasn't heard? And so they tell the story to this inquisitive stranger, their words, a combination of love and grief and pride and sorrow and belief and doubt. And he was such a good man. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. We know he was a prophet. He ran into trouble with the chief priest. We heard he was betrayed. They beat him until he couldn't stand. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they laughed at him. And everything they said was in the past tense, which is how we normally speak of the dead. They still loved him and still believed him as best as they could, and they clung to every cherished memory. I mean, crucifixion could not stop them from loving him. But they could not square the events of the last 48 hours with their faith that he was the Son of God. They were disappointed disciples who felt their faith slipping away with every step on the road to Emmaus. Now, they'd heard the rumors of an empty tomb, but what did that mean? I mean, nobody had seen Jesus yet, or so they assumed. And so ends the sad tale of Jesus, a story that had such a promising beginning. They believed in Jesus and he let them down. I mean, the third day was almost gone and Jesus was nowhere to be found. And just bring down the curtain. It's all over. And that, dear friends, is what Good Friday looks like without Easter. Without the resurrection, the cross is nothing but a tragedy. It's a story without a moral. It's a drama that ends with the final act. There's a second thought here, and that's sometimes we are slow to believe. As the two disciples kind of pour out their confusion and despair, Jesus listens patiently. 
When they're finished telling of their broken dreams and dash hopes, he starts to talk. He calls them fools, which simply means they were slow to apply the truth they already knew. He said, you're slow of heart to believe what the prophets had said. He actually kind of rebukes them for one thing and only one thing, for failing to understand and to apply the scriptures. He didn't chew them out for leaving Jerusalem and walking back home. He didn't criticize their doubt or condemn their confusion. All of that was perfectly understandable given the circumstances and the fragmentary information they had received. But he tells them they should have known and they should have believed what God said. Well, that leads us to what I call the ultimate Bible study, because Jesus starts teaching. He tells them plainly that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and die. What seemed like the ultimate miscarriage of justice turns out to be the Father's plan to glorify his Son, Jesus, and because Jesus was no victim being led against his will to the cross. I mean, nobody took his life. He laid it down. The cross was not an accident. It was part of God's plan from the very beginning. That's why the prophets and the poets wrote about it. I mean, there are clues throughout the entire Old Testament that the Messiah would suffer and would enter his glory. I mean, read Genesis 3, read Genesis 22, read 2 Samuel 7. In the Psalms, you can read Psalm 16 and 22 and 69 and 110 and 118, Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 and 53, and in Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14. Friends, don't miss the point. The whole Bible testifies to Jesus. And as the afternoon of the first Easter Sunday wore on, the two disciples listened with rapt attention as the stranger they did not recognize explained how the scriptures all pointed to Jesus. Now, I'm saying that we must not make the same mistake these disciples made or else we too will be fools and slow of heart to believe. I mean, the Old Testament is full of Jesus. He's on every page. He's the true theme of the Old Testament by type and teaching and sacrifice and prophecy. I mean, he is the prophet greater than Moses. He's the priest greater than Aaron. He's the king greater than David. He's the captain greater than Joshua. I mean, he's the seed of a woman, the fulfillment of the brass serpent, the goal of all the sacrifices, the true meaning of the tabernacle. He's the kinsman redeemer, the scapegoat, and the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He's the great high priest who lives forever to pray for us. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's that good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Friends, if you want to find Jesus, just open your Bible because the whole book is about him. If you want to understand the Bible, look for Jesus. He's there on every page. The whole purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. He's the theme of every book from Genesis to Revelation. So where is Jesus when we need him? He's with us even when we are slow to believe. The third point, sometimes he seems to leave us. You know, in verses 28 to 32, kind of paint a touching picture of Jesus eating supper with Cleopas and, and Simeon. Remember, they still don't know who he is. They think they have stumbled upon a stranger who knows everything there is to know about the Bible. They have no idea that it's Jesus. Now, there's one little phrase in verse 28 that we should not overlook. It says, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Now, the word acted means pretended. I mean, what a thought that is. Was Jesus trying to deceive his own disciples? Was Jesus planning on leaving his disciples alone on the road of doubt? No, but he makes them think he's going to leave so that they will invite him to stay. I mean, think about that for a moment. Our Lord sometimes seems to leave us 
so that we will ask him to stay. He seems to leave us behind so that we will seek him all the more. I mean, those days when we feel all alone, when we feel confused, these are part of God's plan to wean us away from the things of this world and to bring us to a place where we're going to say, Oh Lord, it is you and you alone that I seek. Now note what happened next. Jesus comes in when he's invited. He eats with them and he vanishes as soon as he is recognized. Jesus disappears, but not until his disciples recognize him. I mean, think about it this way. He came in because they asked him. He broke bread that he might have fellowship with them. He left because they no longer needed his personal presence. Now, why leave so suddenly? Well, the answer is he didn't leave them at all. He simply became, I guess the word is invisible. Leaving implies a change of geography, but it's not as if Jesus moved to a different location. He appeared to them on the road, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And even when he taught them the scriptures, he did not reveal himself to them. It's only in the course of sharing a meal together did Cleopas and Simeon recognize who he was. And then he vanished. Now that doesn't mean he left them. It simply means they could no longer visibly see him. And that's the whole point of the story. Just because you don't see Jesus doesn't mean he's not there. Just because you can't feel him does not mean he's left you. Just because you think you're alone does not mean he's no longer by your side. I mean, once you know that Jesus is alive, you have certainty in your heart. There's no need for him to stay longer. He stays long enough for them to believe, but no longer. You know, there are times when we all say, Lord, it would be wonderful if you could stay a while longer. And the Lord answers back, you know, I'm with you even when you think I'm gone. So where is Jesus when we need him? He's with us even though he seems to leave. I mean, this is a pretty profound insight from our text. Because Jesus is alive, he's with us even when we don't know it. He's with us when we think we are walking through the dark valleys and have given up all hope. It's then when we discover that he, he was with us when we needed him the most. And see, when you come to the conviction that Jesus is alive, everything changes. And that is why the two disciples could not wait to get back to Jerusalem. Even though it was late in the evening, they had to go back and tell the others what they had seen and heard. You see, friends, once you encounter Jesus, nothing will ever be the same again. If Jesus is alive, there's no time to waste. If he's alive, everything we believe is true. If he's alive, then death has been defeated. Then heaven is more than a dream. If Jesus is alive, then our sins are really forgiven and all of his promises are true. If Jesus is alive, then we can never truly be alone again. So where is Jesus when we need him the most? Well, he's with us because he's risen from the dead. Well, let me go back to that simple outline of the passage. Two men, three men, two men. You know, it's the picture of life after the resurrection. There are two men alone in their despair. Jesus comes and gives them hope, and then Jesus leaves, but the men are changed forever. Now you say, well, he's been gone 2,000 years. But friends, that's not quite right. He's gone in terms of his physical presence, but he's more with us now than he was when he was here. How do we know it's true? Well, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, and read that verse. I am with you always to the end of the age, even though we don't recognize him even though we can't find him, even though we're slow to believe, even though he seems to leave us. 
Now, all of this is true because Jesus is risen from the dead. He's gone from our sight that he may be seen by faith. Friends, we all live somewhere between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. All of us are on the long Emmaus journey together. There are times when we feel alone, times when we feel overwhelmed and doubt creeps in and our heart gives away and we feel like we can't go on. And then Jesus comes and says, you're not alone. You never were alone. Even when you thought you were alone, I was with you every step of the way. We still make that long walk from the grave. We still weep and we remember and we wonder why, but everything has changed now. You know, it might have been Saturday for many of us, but thank God Easter has already dawned across the universe. A bright light shines from the garden tomb. The light slowly chases the darkness away until one day the darkness will be gone forever. And so to you, my friends, behold the risen Jesus. You can never be alone again. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. Happy Easter.